right, let's talk about 4.3 uh, of the articulation guide. And I actually think that this is a really important one. Um, if you remember when we went through this in class, I said that they added this, uh, that this is a brand new indicator for us to teach for APGO. So let's talk about it. This one has a really, really good chance of being an FRQ. So describe the concepts of political power and territoriality as used by geographers. Okay, and then if you see 4.C.1 and 4.C.2. 4.C.1 is brand new. I wanna quickly go to 4.C.2. We have this term called territoriality, and here's why the articulation guide is so important, especially for the exam. It gives you the definition of territoriality. It is the connection of people, their culture, and their economic systems to the land. So think about what we talked about with sovereignty, self-determination, devolution in 4.2. This is the connection that people have with their culture, their economic systems to the land. It's that territory. Think about your home, right? You have this connection. It's your territory. It's your property. It's your private home. It's your residence. You have that connection to your home. That's what territoriality is. And then we could talk about power and then how to exercise the power, who has control over it. And this is where we get into 4.C.1. Political powers expressed geographically. You can guess where we're going. We're going to boundaries after 4.3. Uh, you have control over people, land, and resources. And then if you think about boundaries and control and connection to the land, well, if you have a resource that everybody wants, like oil, well, who has control over it? Who has the rights to it? And right away, the moment I'm saying this, you should be thinking of the law of the sea, the UNCLOS, and why that law of the sea is so important because it's about who has control, who has the resources, who has the political power in that specific territory. And it's illustrated by neocolonialism, shatter belts, and choke points. All right, so let's go back to neocolonialism. Neocolonialism, again, is new colonialism. Remember, there have been three waves of colonialism. The first wave was during the age of exploration. We went over to the Americas, um, I should say Spain and Portugal. Uh, God, glory, gold, um, went to the Americas. The second wave was really Great Britain, um, the France. Um, you had them go over towards Africa and Asia. We talked about, you know, the Berlin Conference, the scramble for Africa. We touched a little bit on superimposed boundaries. But then you get into neocolonialism. Many colonies gained independence politically. That would be decolonization, right? You just leave. Great Britain leaves India, you get decolonization. However, they did not necessarily get it in terms of economics, right? So we could talk about the difference again between imperialism, colonialism. Colonialism, you're there. Think of C, conquer, conquest, control. Imperialism is influence. 
It could be indirect. It could be colonialism, but it typically says more about influencing them. So when it comes to new colonialism, this is really about influencing them economically. And the big key word here is transnational corporations. You still see them. Instead of it being like a country, you see now transnational corporations extract natural resources in the developing world. It could be those primary sources or those primary activities. It could be mining. It could be the production of coffee or cocoa or bananas. And then you get that term neocolonialism in which you have control over developing countries through indirect means. It's usually economic, but it could be politically or even through a cultural power. So it's transnational corporations taking advantage of the periphery because of cheap labor, um, the resources they have. Um, remember we talked about less regulation when it comes to the environment and they are taking advantage of them for that resource um, to then make a product. That's neocolonialism. But let's get into the two big, two big words. A shatter belt. A shatter belt is a region caught between stronger colliding external cultural political forces. Under persistent stress, they're often fragmented by aggressive rivals. So remember, if we're talking about this desire, this territoriality, the desire for political power, or to have it expressed geographically where you have sovereignty, self-determination, where you have a piece of property, there could be a region where there is constant tension because everybody wants that territory. Everybody wants a piece of that land. And there's some really good examples of this. Historically, Eastern Europe during the Cold War, or you could talk about it more on a contemporary map with Israel or Kashmir today. But the one I really, really, really want to go into is a choke point. A choke point is a geographic feature on land, such as a valley, um, it could be a bridge, it could be a sea, it could be a strait, which an armed force is forced to pass, therefore greatly decreasing its combat in order to reach its objective. This is a place where there is tension, and the best example would be the Strait of Hormuz. Um, and that's the first one I would have on it. On the articulation guide, when you're doing the review, I would give some background information on the Strait of Hormuz, why it's, in, why it's important. Um, I showed that video about the Strait of Hormuz. So if you go back to Unit 4 Political, there's that great video on it. Um, but the Strait of Hormuz is a strait between the Persian Gulf and the Gulf of Oman. It provides the only sea passage from the Persian Gulf to the open ocean. And again, the most important reason why, and first of all, it's one of the most important choke, the choke points in the world, um, and it's because of oil, right? And this is where you get into the law of the sea. Who technically has control over this passage? Is it international waters? Remember, the United States gets involved, the UN gets involved, um, you have Iran, you have the UAE, um, but it really is about who has control over this passage, this strait, which would then allow for oil to go back and forth, to be able to um, ship oil to the ocean. 
Um, so let's talk about it. Um, oil, roughly about 17 million barrels pass out of the Persian Gulf daily. So if you think about it, if you were to stop this strait, the passage of that oil, think about what it would do to the global supply of oil. There are certain key events like the tanker wars, which was in the, the video. There's been U.S.-Iranian naval disputes over it and tensions in 2008. Um, you had Obama, you had Clinton. Remember when Trump got into office, Trump said that it was a bad deal. Um, and there was even more concerns about the Strait of Hormuz. Um, but what I would do is go back to the political unit and watch the video on the Strait of Hormuz. Um, but that would be the best example of a shatter belt. Um, after this, we're gonna get into defining boundaries. So we're gonna do a whole thing on 4.4, 4.5, and 4.6. And then I am going to spend some time and do one just on the law of the sea. All right, so this was 4.3.